You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Sheen Ron was born in Beijing and moved to London in 1997, where she wrote for The Guardian. She's the author of the book The Good Women of China and Sky Burial. She also created the charity The Mother's Bridge of Love, founded to help disadvantaged Chinese children and to build a bridge of understanding between the West and China. Thank you for joining me, Sheen Ron. Hello. Hi. Thank you. Shinran, your new book is called China Witness, and this is a very interesting take on history. Here in the United States, we get a lot of history, but it's always from the third person. Uh, um, it's kind of like God's point of view, but we don't get the kind of first-person kind of history that you create here in China Witness. Um, actually, I totally agree with you. I, I don't think that only happened in America. I think uh, this is a universal problem. I think we are quite scared. Psychologically, we're not very honestly or open-minded to our history, particularly our close history. And I think for China, I feel that desperately I want to do the program because Cultural Revolution has burned all of evidence of the history records. So when I realized in the society, in the library, in the education system in the, you know, textbooks that there has nothing there. So I was a little bit worried. At that time, I didn't realize how important to let people speak out. I just thought something for myself. You know, I brought up mm-hmm. in a big city, and I never had a birthday with my parents. I always um, didn't know how to open the conversation. I want to ask them what happened to them. I'm sure they want to know what happened to me during the Cultural Revolution. They both uh, were arrested, you know. But I found that every time when we try to open the conversation, we both side are very scared and uh, psychologically was very painful. It's a very painful process. So I followed a group of the people from the 1980s. That time, most people, they are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. I just thought that could be my, you know, history teachers or life advisors. I didn't realize how much I've been learned from them until 2005. My husband discovered, and he said he always talked to the group, the you know, old people every time you went back to China. Uh, so I told them, I told him the reason I want to learn what really happened to this country in the last hundred years and to my grandparents' life and to my mom's life. So he said, why don't you, you know, write down a book on their own stories? My first reaction was the same as those interviewees. I said, no, no, no way. They never, ever could talk in public or even tell their own children. So he said, why don't you try? Because there's no understanding between generations, between different people. There's no peace. So afterwards, I thought quite a lot. I think uh, I thought he might be right. So I telephoned back China. I called people. I sent my assistant to meet uh, those people. But actually, 100% of them refused me. I was totally lost when I started the program. But uh, after a year, um, I think uh, 
I win their hearts, like I did win their trust during the 20 years, so follow them and listen to them. So I spent 10 weeks in 2006, and up and down cross country from the west part of China to east part of China, and I record them, film them, listen to them with a group of the students. So finally, I got 800,000 words back. Now, tell me, um, when when you uh, uh, went to interview these people, how, how did you select them? How did you choose how to do this? Because history's lived at a lot of levels. There are, are presidents, but, you know, most people who experience history are people who just go to work every day. Um, actually, first things I try to avoid is celebrities, because I think they have so much chance in their life. They can, you know, have the opportunity to speak out, to tell the stories, or record by other people. So mm-hmm. I avoid this part of the group from my list, and because before I have to about over 50 people. And the second one, um, I have to say, is not I choose them, is mm-hmm. they choose me, because some of them just pass away before I start the program, and some simply say no to me. And so finally, I got more than 20 agreed with me. And But some of them, you know, obviously, so they are both uh, uh, Korea or both a- same age, same Korea, same background. So I try to select some people from a censure government level and to the system level, then to the, you know, ordinary people's level and to the different uh, geography or different parts of China and different parts of the culture background. So, for example, in the interviewee, I had I got um, uh, the first uh, um, personal bodyguard of Mao Dong. Wow. He also is the founder of China Navy. He's oldest survived from 1920s. Uh, until today, during the analyze, you know, political parties killing. Mm-hmm. So he survived. And also I interviewed a military general and uh, try to understand how the military built up this kind of, uh, like a West Point in America, this mm-hmm. kind of education system for national defense. Then I interviewed uh, all the policemen who become policemen since 1947. Mm-hmm. So he really gave me the whole picture and how this new government and took over from all the regime and set up a new system with uneducated peasants and the farmers. Mm-hmm. So that's a very shocking, you know, very shocked lesson to me when mm-hmm. I ask him. Uh, there are so many people have been punished or killed by the death penalty in Henan, which is the largest prevalent in China. So I asked him how many people have been educated and legal to carry out this kind of policy. Then he said before 1980s, not a single person. You know, wow. I was so shocked. Mm-hmm. I said, how could you? Then he said, that is the system worked. So, and also I interviewed people in the prison, and, uh, which is the largest prison and was set up in 1950s when China was exhausted, no food, no daily supply to the mm-hmm. ordinary people. So Mao's Communist Party, they gathered, they sent 
all of the criminals and the war prisoners to the northwest China, which is a huge desert. And those people just, you know, very few of them survived. But they rebuilt modern city by hand, completely by hand. And this story, even to the Chinese journalists, didn't open until 2005. Wow. Because I heard a story in 1980s, I never could get it until mm-hmm. 2006 through my special contacts. So and also shoemaker and repair in the streets and the peasants and the lantern makers and also include a one long march witness as well mm-hmm. because uh, I'm um, I used to question the, is it really happened the long march and how long they really work. So when I tried to ask him a lot of questions, and his wife was in tears, said to his, her husband, said, don't go on with the Xi'an, just show her your feet. Wow. Then she will understand what your words mean, because the old man was a little bit, you know, annoyed with me. Mm-hmm. I, repeat my question again and again from a different direction because I want to figure out the, what really happened during the long march. But when I saw his feet, mm-hmm. I was totally shut up because he come across the snow mountain and the wet grasses many times. So his feet was totally damaged by the infection. He lost all of his ten tons. So that is not human feet anymore. Boy. Now, one so of the I was you very have... shocked, you know, and also because I filmed them, I asked each single of them the same question, is, was your life, is your life worth it? Mm-hmm. That's really, you know, why I'm talking today, I'm still become very emotional. All of them face my running camera and, you know, tried very hard to hold the tears. Mm-hmm. I could see how much they struggled every single day for this question. Boy. Because China changed so much, particularly in the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. You know, judgments of the right or wrong, and also the system, and also young generation lived a completely different life. No one could understand what they did and what they did for. Mm. Now, um, one of the things you had to overcome uh, to to get these people to talk is a, a, a traditional uh, Chinese um, attitude, um, which which is the this idea of of the guilt of the family, collective guilt. Um, could you talk a little bit about that and, and tell us too um, uh, what you'll be uh, talking about uh, when you're coming to the United States and on your tour? Yeah, I'm definitely will talk about, you know, actually so there's so many Chinese living in America. Mm-hmm. And every time I've been there, um, I feel the same things. No matter where they are, if they are Chinese, they never have a really conversation between generations. And young people, uh, young Chinese never question their last generations. And they feel it very difficult to challenge anyone above them in the age, in the position, or, you know, 
this is a very much part of the Chinese culture because you know we have the Confucian as part of culture roots. Mm-hmm. And before the how do you say one thousand BC, maybe one thousand five hundred BC, we Chinese culture and the customs and the philosophy had been rooted. So in that kind of um, Chinese rule. Mm-hmm. We have been told by generations and generations is never ever question and challenge anyone above you. I think that this is only one part of the reason. A second reason, which is a very a, strong the influence as well, and is we used to have a very cool legal system, mm-hmm. which is set up by first Emperor Qin Shi Huang. In 220 BC, I think some the period around there, and in this crude legal system, one person against the law, three thousand relatives should be killed. So this crude legal system had been dominated China until 1912. Mm-hmm. So you can understand that the generations of Chinese. If they have been watered by this kind of huge fear by the generations, you know,、mm-hmm. so obviously people don't not used to talk as part of their culture. And the third point I have to say is based on re- political reason, because since we end up last emperor in 1912 or 1911,、mm-hmm. the whole China was lost. Because this nation never had a national religion, we treated our god, you know, treated our emperor as our god.、Mm-hmm. When we lost our god, we didn't have another one. So we had analyzed the civil war, warlords' war, you know, anti-Japanese or between the、uh, Communist Party and the National Party. Actually, they fighted just for one thing: who will be new god for、mm-hmm. China? So、That's、because of this kind, of, yeah, because this kind of political killing, like a French Revolution, you know, in the five years time, the people, the turn to another side, and the killing happened all the time. So Chinese become so silent because everybody frightened, say something wrong, it could be punished tomorrow.、Mm-hmm. I think based on these three reasons: culture or legal punishment and、uh, political, I'm sure.、Mm-hmm. The Chinese become so silent on、um, before 1980s.、Mm-hmm. But when we open ourselves, when we try to speak out, at the very beginning, 10 or 15 years, when I started my radio show in China, I could see everybody thought they answered my question. In their personal opinion, but in my record, I can hear it's a uniform sentence and answers、mm-hmm. to the same question. No, so we lost、uh, this kind of knowledge and confidence and the personal view about、mm-hmm. talking and speaking.、Mm-hmm. I've been speaking with Shin Ran. Her new book is China Witness. She'll be touring the United States next week. Thank you for joining me, Shin Ran. Thank you.
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.